Well, it's good to see you. I have to tell you, today's going to be just a little different. Um, what's fun is when you plan out sermon series, and when you plan out some kind of fun things you get to do, you have these weeks that kind of pop up in between. And uh, that's what we are. We're in a tweener week, all right? And this is a week between finishing our sermon series on impressions, deep impact, deep relationships, um, talking about and really, really kind of focusing in on parenting, but really more than that, just the depth and the impact that a relationship can have, and parenting is one of the ones that I think, as a church, we need to recognize that we have a lot of influence in that, as you've seen with the young people that we have. But we're also going to transition into our John series on the Gospel of John next week, but we have this little tweener week. So, as a preacher, there's two ways that you can think about these weeks. One, terrified. You have nothing to say. All right? I don't know if you guys know this. I know I have about 100,000 words a day to say, and I barely ever get them all out. But I can still run out of things to say. All right? Uh, and then there's other things that happen that I feel like today is, um, where I felt like I had the opportunity, maybe not in the most focused way, so you have to give me grace today, but in a really neat way to kind of hold in and kind of take a pause and talk about something that I've never talked about before. And in fact, when I told my wife what I was going to preach on, she's like, do you know anything about that? And I was like, I don't know. We're going to see. Uh, <laughs> but it's such a valuable, it's such a valuable thing to talk about because it was a, it was something that I got as feedback in the last series. And it was something that I've, in my own life, I'm starting to feel the tension of. And it's something that I can tell as I grow older and as my life moves on and I see the people that I look up to grow a little older, that finishing well is difficult. It's challenging. And one of the reasons why I'm ending up doing this is because at the end of the series about parenting, I had multiple leaders, multiple different people come up and go, how do you parent your parents when they start to become the children again? I was like, good question. And I look like I have the answer. It's like, I don't know. But in my mind, what turned in that thought was, how do we help people finish well? How, we, how do we do that? So today's sermon is just finishing hell, how to help and finish well. So this is a combination. Some of you, you're not helping someone finish well. You're just trying to finish well, right? You're just trying to get there well, right? We're not going to point you out. You're just full of wisdom, okay? Some of you, though, you're walking with somebody. And they're a few steps ahead of you. And you're trying to help them to the best of your ability from behind lead and help. So I'm going to do my best in one sermon using my limited wisdom, but using the Bible as kind of a, a pathway to unlock some of this. And please hear me, when I, when I say use the Bible, I, I always struggle, and this is, this is a side note, so I'm going to try to be quick about this. Whenever I speak about the Bible and I talk about the Bible, I'm, I'm, I have two things racing through my mind. One is that we can quickly become idols or idolaters of the Bible and forget the resurrection and the person of Jesus. The, the Bible was written because of the resurrection of Jesus, not the other way around. Does that make sense? And so whenever we talk about Scripture, we need to remember that this isn't about the words on the page. This is about a person who died and came back, and the words reflect the 
power that that had. And the power that still is coming and is still capable of tapping into now. So the Bible is just a very shadow, is what the Bible describes as a shadow of the real glory of God that was in Jesus. It's a glimpse, but it's not the full picture. But it is a helpful and incredibly valuable tool, especially when you're trying to dive into things like this. It can be challenging. So this topic actually comes up in one specific place, helping specifically your parents or older generations finish well when you're in the position to take care of them. And I don't know if you knew that this came up, but it's actually it's a side note in a, in, a, in a story in Matthew, and it's such a cool little side note. I want to set the stage for you. Jesus' disciples are fishermen. They're common men. They don't necessarily follow all the ways that the rules at the time, that Jerusalem and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these, these leaders that had put over 600 extra man-made traditions in place to keep people from breaking the real rules. And one of the rules was just not cleaning your hands well enough before you ate. And they broke this. And the Pharisees found out, and so they're confronting Jesus. And Jesus just rips into them. Because he hates when people draw lines where God didn't draw a line. He hates when people are limited to get to him by someone else. And he's frustrated at that. That they would draw a line where he didn't. So we're picking up the story where Jesus is responding to the Pharisees after they've made this like, how dare your disciples eat this way. And I think you're going to see how Jesus just kind of rips into them immediately. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? See, not the tradition of the law. This is man-made. Don't wash their hands before they eat. I just explained this to you. Jesus replied, he's going to get into it. Why do you break the command of who? God, for the sake of your tradition. At that point, you're like, oh, snap, that's a haymaker, right? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. He is quoting Deuteronomy, the actual law. Now, if that's not crazy enough, just pause this for a second, because we're going to talk about this for a minute. That word honor is really important. Honor your father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the top ten things. Really, really important. And the word honor has kind of two different ways to think about it. Because the one thing, the way the way that I'd like to think of honor is the noun. That's possessive, right? I receive the honor, right? And the, that's high respect and great esteem. All of us want to feel that, right? We want that. And the second is this, to adhere... Ooh, that's not nice. To what is right or to a conventional standard of conduct. So I, I guess basically what it's saying is to honor is to actually follow through and to be highly esteemed for doing it, right? But to honor your parents is a verb. It's a verb. It's not a noun. It's something you do, not something they are. That's really important. Because to do this is to regard 
with great respect. To do this is to fulfill, you fulfill an obligation and keep it. That's what it means to verb honor your parents. See, for a lot of us, I read that honor your parents and I go, they're not honorable sometimes. Right? So here's, here's your thought. Here's just boiled it down in a sentence. You ready? If you don't like your mother or father, th- that's sad. But you still have to honor them. You still have to be with them. You still owe them that honorable conduct. The way you treat them. That's on you. Now that, to me, is like super convicting. Because I don't know if you were like me, but like there was a good stage of life, and I grew up with good parents that this right here described how I interacted with them. And I know there's some kids right now sitting next to your parents, and you're like, this is awkward. (laughs) And you're right. (laughs) But you know what's funny? I don't think I did this consciously, because I'm not that holy. But this is actually how we got through a lot of this. A lot of the disagreements, frustrations, when I bought the wrong car insurance or I didn't have, I didn't have life insurance for the first year of like being married, my dad about murdered me <laughs> every time we talked. It was like the first thing he brought up, and I was like, I'm sorry. I'll be responsible later. <laughs> but every time we talked, I, I just chose to believe that there was something that I wouldn't, I didn't know, that I hadn't seen, that the wisdom was beyond me, that I just chose to choose to say he had already given me enough that I needed to treat him well. I needed to honor him. This is something God told me to do, and I just naturally did it. Now, I know in a room this large, in a setting this large, uh, the Leave it to Beaver family is not what most of you grew up in, right? So you don't read this honor your father and mother, and you're like, oh, that was easy. Some of you had abuse that went on. Some of you, you just had them leave. They just, they weren't even around. Some of you, this, this is one of the most challenging things because they had like a turnaround like halfway through their life, but the first 20 years were rough. And you still remember them. And now they want to act like it didn't exist. And you want to act like it didn't happen. It's a verb, people. It's a verb to honor your parents. It's something you do. Now let me finish this story because this is really, really cool and we got even one more part to pray. So at this point, Jesus is just laying down the truth of like, hey, you're not even following this and we don't even know how they're doing it yet because he's about to lay it down. This is really, really cool. It's totally like 20th century that's happening back then in the first century. This is mind-boggling. So this is what it says. But you say that if, one of, if any of you declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, and that they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Pause. This is so neat. Go back there real quick. So here's, here's what's happening. These, these Pharisees, these Jews, were gaining wealth, and then their parents were losing the ability to work, which meant they had to be taken care of. And rather than recognizing that their nest egg was going to be tacked 
and that they were going to have to put out towards their parents financially, they would donate it by saying God had told them that all their income had to go to the work of God. And they weren't allowed to give it away because that wasn't the work of God. And so when their parents came to ask, they literally used God as the excuse to not honor their father and mother. So here's what happens. Jesus goes further. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Now here's the salt in the wound. These guys have memorized this stuff. They know this stuff back and forth. And now he's going to quote it to them. Goodness gracious. This is like you're the English teacher and me the dyslexic that can't say words and spells them wrong all the time gives you an English lesson. I'm telling you. It's you're like, thanks, right? This is what he says. And this is what Isaiah 29 says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teaching, teachings are merely human rules. Ooh. Now I thought, wow, that's neat. But then I went and read the section that's right after this in Isaiah. You guys, this whole section right here is powerful. This section, Isaiah, is about the city of David, the very city they're in, Jerusalem. In, in Isaiah 29, it's a prophecy about the city, about when Jesus is coming back, and they're currently with Jesus, sitting in the city of David. Prophecy is being said right now. Standing in front of the people, and this is what that prophecy said. Therefore, once more, I was astounded. These people would wonder upon, with wonder upon wonder, the wisdom of the wise will perish and the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. These guys knew more about the word of God than anyone else on the planet. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord. You think you can hide your heart? who do the work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? And these Pharisees, you know, they're just sweating because <laughs> they know the rest of this. They didn't stop in their minds. That's why we're not stopping. You turn things upside down. You take the very thing that God blessed you with to take care of the people in your life and you call it yours. You turn it upside down. As if the potter were thought to be like the clay. As if God is going to listen to you and believe that you know the truth. So what is form say to the one who formed it? You did not make me. Oh, have your kids ever done that? Not, they don't say that word. They just say like, I don't like you. I don't want to be here in your family. I'm like, oh my gosh, kid. I brought you into this world. <laughs> Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing. So this is like the slap in the face, right? Pharisees come in, they got this rule of the elders. 
And Jesus, he, Jesus just cuts to the heart about how you are supposed to take care of and honor verb your parents. And he cuts them to the heart. And you're like, Whoa. But they're not the only ones listening. And so Jesus has to wrap this up. You might realize that we actually talked about this section just a few weeks back. And this was actually a section that we talked about. But I'm not going to go that far. I'm just going to give you his little one-verse explanation of the whole thing that just went down. This is it. This is what he always does. He always does this. So the crowd, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand. Anytime you hear Jesus say this, he is telling you, you're hearing me, but you're not getting it. That, that's what that phrasing is. No, 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 no. You're hearing my words, but you're not understanding. Be careful. You're hearing what is said, but you're missing it. Don't miss it. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And he explains this to his disciples. And basically what this says is this. Your heart is not made evil by your food or your choices by eating. It's made by the choices that you make that come out of you. That's what defines you. That's what we live in. The harvest of our choices. So if that isn't cool enough, here's my thoughts about that. In a moment, he shuts down any argument that you and I can have that we do not have the verb responsibility to have in some way, shape, or form, at least verbally, non-verbally, or in some cases financially, a reason to respond with honoring our parents. Just because they're not here or they did horrible things does not give us the right, nor should it ever give us the right, to speak poorly or to not give them honor. And that is not because of what they have done. Get this, get this. It's because of what it will do to you if you choose to not honor the one who made you. Think about that for a second. Do you see the connection here? It's a small microchasm of what God is calling us to do with him. Now, unlike our heavenly fathers and mothers, God is perfect. He never makes a mistake, but in one way or another, he wants us to start by honoring the people that made us right here, that had the responsibility placed upon them, the opportunity, and brought you into this world. And he says, that is the start of learning what it would be like to honor someone you'll never see and is working behind the scenes for you. You honor them. That's where we start. So along with that, I'm just going to speak really specifically for a second to helping someone finish well. There's, you can see the end, and now this could be for many reasons. Look, it doesn't just mean you're old. It can mean cancer's in. Uh, it, it could mean there's something terminal that has happened, an accident, something has happened, and you know the end is near, and time is short, and you are walking with it. What do you do in those situations? How do you speak to these people? What do you say? And then the even di more difficult one where someone slowly fades, their body fails them, their mind fails them, and they slowly seem to dissipate. How do you help? 
How do you help? Just three quick thoughts. These are not everything. Again, remember the start of the sermon. We don't have it all figured out. But these are three really healthy things. The first is your tone. It hasn't changed since the beginning, and it won't change since the end. If you are in a role of influence, your tone speaks your heart. Look, Jesus got mad. He got angry. And in fact, I can't see even the passage we just read without a little sarcasm or a little bit of a glint in his eye when he's looking at these guys going, you're mad about not washing your hands, but you let your parents live in the gutter? But you know this, if the emotion trumps the argument and if the emotion and the tone overcomes what you're saying, you will not be heard. And you will lose influence and lose opportunity. And a soft word goes further, even when it's honest. When you have the ability to trust in the truth that you have and to set the tone with how you share it, it's incredibly healthy. And let me tell you, that takes a healthier person, that takes a person with his wits, that takes a person that recognizes that they have to be, and what, would, what did we say when we were younger, the bigger person, the, the wiser person, and you have to control your emotions. You have to recognize the opportunity that's in front of you, and you have to speak with a heart that has the proper tone. The second is this. Do not stray away from the truth. Don't lie. I'm not talking about little white lies. I'm talking about you just telling everything's going to be fine. All things are going to be good. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. That so quickly becomes just laughable in the situation. Don't stray away from the truth. As a culture, we struggle so much with dealing with death. We, we watch it in movies. It happens all the time in video games. It happens all the time around us. But then in real life, we struggle with it. We don't know what to do with it. And then it happens. And we're staring at it. And we feel the void. Don't run from it. Talk about it. I would dare say that if you can have the relationship and the tone with a person that you're walking with, that you have the opportunity, talk to them how they would like to finish well and tell them the truth on whether or not they're struggling at it. Have the real conversation. Don't stray away from the truth. The last thing you would want is the regret of never saying the thing that you feel like could have possibly helped them turn the corner help them finish well. Risk the relationship. What do you have to lose? But do it with the right tone. The last thing is this. Grace. Give overwhelming amounts of grace. For whatever reason, we think that salvation is found at five, six, seven years old, and then it's like one burst of grace that we're supposed to just live off. And so by the end, you're like puttering out of it. You're like, oh, I got no grace left. Gonna barely make it into heaven. It's just not the way grace works. Grace is the rocket fuel of the gospel. It is the continual renewal of what Jesus did. And it should be extended to the very last second with no holes. And it's more difficult. I get it. There's 40 years, 60 years, 70 years of history. And you're like, I have given grace enough. That's just not 
how you finish well. Paul wrote some of the most grace-filled passages at the end of his life. He felt the need for grace more because you know what happens at the end of your life? Regret! Pain! You are living in the harvest of your choices and you see with more clarity than ever the poorness, the wrong choices that you made and you feel the sting and then people judge you because you're supposed to be wise. And grace is left out of the equation. Extended. With the right tone. Offer it. Light their fire again. Give them the fuel that they found all those years ago. Grace was it. It's what set them free. It was the truth of their brokenness. It was the tone of the cross, and it was the grace that saved them. I'm telling you. And I know you're like, oh gosh, it's just so simple. It's just three words, Trevor. Come on. I mean, what? But if you just remember this, the next time you're sitting in front of he or she, and it's, they're just doing that thing that's just like, and you're just going nuts. You're in the passenger seat. You're in the living room. You're sitting at the dining table. You're watching fireworks. Check your tone. Find a place to share the truth. Extend grace. And here's, here's the big thing. For those of you that don't have the opportunity to do this in real life, do it now in your heart. Do it now in your heart. Don't wait. Change the tone of how you talk about your parents. Honor them right now in your heart. Change the truth. Change it. Speak it out there. It was broken. It was hard. It was difficult. But God's grace was enough. And it would have been enough. It is enough for them. Change the narrative. You know why? Because if you don't do that, you're going to have those fears and anxieties and that lack of transparency and that lack of grace come back around when you try to finish well. You're going to speak that same tone over yourself. You're going to speak that lack of truth to yourself, and you're never going to extend yourself grace because nobody else was worthy of it. It's practice. It's incredible practice to honor your father and mother. I'm going to read you two quick passages here. John 19, 25 to 27. Check this out. This is so cool. Near the cross, Jesus, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying for your sins. The world's pain and shame is on him. His mother's sister, Mary, the mother of Colopus, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple with whom he loved, John can't even write his name in it. He doesn't feel like he's worthy of it. So he just puts the one whom he loved. It's John. He said to his woman, now we talked about this before, that word is not disrespectful. It's a, it's a sign of dignity. It's a sign of position in his life. Great respect in that word. Woman, hear your son. Here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from this time on, the disciple took care and took her into his home. He wanted her to finish well. He wanted her to finish well. He had her on his mind. 
He's honoring her by taking care of her in that moment. Here's what here's this just blows my mind. Finishing well does not happen on your own. Finishing well does not happen on your own. You need a community of people. And Jesus knew that. He's going, hey, this society is pretty hard on women. In fact, you'll probably be thrown out. You can't really make a wage. You can't own land in this country at this point. So you need somebody to take care of you. The one I love, he knows I love him. We are tight. We are close. Dude, take care of her. You know what John says? Nope. No, he says, yes! He says, yeah, like I'm going to do anything else, right? Look at Paul. Last example. I'm just trying to drive this home for you. Second Timothy, Paul's at the very end of his life. He's about to be killed in Rome for his faith. He's trying to get in front of Caesar, he's trying to plead the case for why the gospel is the hope of the world, and he is longing, but then here's what he says, and this is how he says it, and we quote this all the time. This is what we want. All of us want this, to finish well, to finish the fight, and this is what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and I am not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing, but check out the next verse. Do your best to come quickly. Talking to Timothy, talking to his friends. For Demonus, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And Creus has gone to Galatia. And Titus, I can't remember that word right now. I practiced Domitia. I can't remember it. Just it's a city in Greece. Only Luke is with me. He's only got one. Get Mark. Bring him with you. Who's he talking to? Early church. Because he is helpful to me in my, in my ministry. I said Tychus to Ephesus. When you come, bring me a cloak that I left with Carpus and Taurus, my scrolls especially with my parchment. He's trying to finish well. And you know what he does need? Community. People. One of my favorite stories is Henry Nguyen. If you've never heard of Henry Nguyen, you need to go read The Beloved. It's a book that he wrote. And The Beloved is it all about his friend that's next to him? And he, this guy, Henry Nguyen, went to Canada, and he literally lived in a monastery for handicapped children for a large section of the later years of his life. And he lived at this monastery and just took care of these kids for years. One of the things he shared on a podcast that I tried desperately to find but is stuck in the back of my mind because it was so powerful is that they had at this monastery not just handicapped kids, but they had patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. And it was a beautiful picture in my mind as these individuals that had incredible faith and were brought there because of their faith to continue their faith would every day forget that they were a believer in Jesus. 
And every day, someone would have to come in, tell them their name, and then tell them the gospel again. And every day, these people would rediscover the gospel. <laughs> every day. Like, what? Jesus came from me? What's my name again? Like, every day. And he said the power of that is this, that their faith did not just exist inside their own heart, but in the community that surrounded them. And without the community that surrounded them, it could not be sustained. It could not be sustained. If we want to finish well as a church, if we want to help others finish well, we have to recognize sustainable life change only happens when we all choose to surround those that we love with faith, in the right tone, with truth, and with grace. And when we do that, when we do that, we'll all get to finish the race. We'll all fight the good fight. We'll all stand in front of Jesus regardless of our age when that time comes and believe without a shadow of a doubt because of the belief of the people around us as well as our own. God is on his throne. His promises are true. The devil is a liar. And that my faith is a victor. And I have finished well. Pray with me.